the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, on today's program, a special visit with a Bay Area native. Talk about growing where you're planted. We're pleased to have join us in the conversation, the senior pastor of Victory Baptist Church of Fremont, Pastor Devin Ortiz. Pastor Ortiz, welcome. Good to have you with us today. Thank you. It's my honor and privilege to be able to be a part of this. Uh, Bay Area native. Sometimes that sounds almost like a, an endangered species in that it's it's so rare. Uh, I think we are certainly outnumbered by the folks that have come from not only across the state, across the nation, but literally from across the world to adopt the San Francisco Bay Area as home. I'm wondering from your perspective, you've been involved in full-time ministry, my goodness, almost 20 years. Does that present some challenges in your opinion in terms of having to deal with differing cultures, differing languages, differing backgrounds, all coming to a place like Silicon Valley and the greater San Francisco Bay Area? Well, absolutely. You have so many different uh, cultures and so many different ideals that come into this area. Uh, when I when I went into the ministry, I knew very well that God was calling me to this area because I felt like it was the front lines. I felt like this is... This is the the mission field. This is the you know this is homeland. This is my home turf, and um, I felt like I can have it all wrapped up in one. But as I got into ministry, I began to recognize that because we live so close to the Silicon Valley, and the economy here is <laughs> ever fluctuating, <laughs> and housing prices are incredible here, and uh, I began to notice that a lot of people's mindset is focused on you know career and work and and while that's great it it does create a challenge in in getting people's faithfulness to the house of god because sundays are such a peak day to to make money in this area um and then as families get older they here make good money and then they go somewhere that's a little more cheaper and so uh, we've lost in the last three years we've probably lost a good 20 families that have moved on to uh, different areas throughout the country and and so that's uh, that does pose a challenge because it almost feels like uh, a continual need to uh, start over but it's also exciting in when you work in the ministry like that as well that that sense of that transient population, which I think is very true. I think some of the surveys have indicated that on average folks will stay five years before resettling. That might be a, a differing job opportunity or the desire to move the kids from, you know, a, a, a busy suburban area to now maybe quiet countryside, things of that sort. But I guess at the end of the day. It's all a matter of perspective. Is the glass half empty or is it half full? I would wonder if uh, how you see these challenges in light of the notion that, you know, historically some folks, if they talk about wanting to be engaged in world missions, it used to mean studying for a couple of years another language, learning about a culture, raising the support, getting a passport, taking the family overseas, setting down roots, kind of getting a lay of the land for maybe a year or two, then beginning a church plant. 
it was time intensive it was money intensive and sometimes the results were not always the the desired now of course we've learned that equipping nationals to do local work is far more effective both in terms of of the finance as well as the the amount of time that it takes to get that momentum for a new church plant going but then conversely so i guess that means that here in the san francisco bay area we can work in the mission field we don't even need the passport because we're already here this is home absolutely and I th- it's exciting because just the other the other day I'm, i i try to i try to keep the missions mindset as i'm as i'm going out doing my different uh things the mundane tasks of every day and uh it was interesting i i was picking up some pumpkins for a, a sunday that we were having for our kids um, and we'll, you know, throw a bunch of pumpkins out on the lawn and they can pick out their own pumpkins. And it's always a kind of an exciting Sunday for us. But as I was at the store picking them out, we had uh, a few families come out and, uh, they see my carts full of pumpkins and they're, they're just looking at me like, wow, what are you doing? I said, oh, I just really like pumpkins. <laughs> and, uh, uh, they, uh, um, see my, one of, uh, a Hindu family came up to me and said, Oh, uh, well, is this, is this for a, uh, a charity? And I said, it's actually for a church. And uh, I said, I asked them if they've ever been. And they said, uh, oh, we've been invited several times, but we've never been. And how interesting as they, you know, we, we, we will have people pop in regularly from different, um, different instances like that. I have a man in the church right now who uh, I met just out um, looking for a car. It was my car salesman. And uh, he was from the south, and and uh, he says, "So now, what do you do?" And I said, "I'm a pastor of a Baptist church." He goes, "There's no Baptist churches out here." And I said, "Absolutely, there is." And he goes, "No way." He goes, well, "Where are you at?" And I told him where we're at here on a mission in Fremont. And he goes, "I live nearby there. I've never seen a Baptist church there." And I said, "Well, as you're driving by, it it, it can be confused as a convalescent home." <laughs> and so, uh, but. Um, he uh, um, he definitely uh, he started coming to church and started becoming more faithful and and uh, it's just exciting to be able to be a part of something like that. And it's interesting you share that story because I think uh, it, it goes to the core of the job that every one of us have here in the San Francisco Bay Area as believers. And then that is the, the notion of being, uh, having a greater degree of visibility. I think sometimes Christians think that, well, my faith is a very personal, it's a private thing. What happens if I say something to someone and all of a sudden they're of a differing faith, they might be offended? And so I think sometimes it's an excuse that we sort of hide behind in failing to recognize that, you know, the mandate from the very beginning was to go out to the highways and byways and compel them to come in and to see the need of reaching out to uh, uh, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And I think maybe in one respect, we've been given a very golden opportunity here because while it can be looked as the glass half empty, I think that half full perspective of what a wonderful opportunity that we can reach virtually every tribe, every tongue, so to speak, uh, and do it by simply going out our own front door. And I think the notion of Christians being more visible, not in an offensive way, you know, we, we don't want to be going around, you know, beating people over the head. But uh, I think when you turn on the light in the middle of the darkness, people appreciate that. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I, I try to tell our people, I, I say, when we try to share the word of God, we can't be using it as a hammer. A hammer is a blunt object that 
um, would cause immediate pain, but it's more, it's a, it's a sword. It's a surgical instrument. It, it's, it's careful. It's, it, it's tactful in the way that we, we use it. And I, I think as we give the gospel, I think there needs to be a discerning spirit in, uh, is this person, is this person ready? Uh, am I, should I just invite them to our service? Should I talk to them about the gospel? Should I tell them about, you know, and, and being able to have that ability to understand where to go with the gospel. Jesus often would use questions to pull things out of people. And uh, I like to use questions a lot in, in dealing with people because I feel like I learn so much more and then it gives me the ability to know where to go with the gospel. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Pastor Devin Ortiz, Senior Pastor of Victory Baptist Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Senior Pastor Devin Ortiz with us today, Pastor of Victory Baptist Church of Fremont. Pastor Ortiz, let me return to what we were discussing. Let me ask you this. Do we sometimes get the roles confused? And I pose that question because if we were to take a a non-scientific survey, uh, we might conclude from a lot of folks that they would say, well, outreach and evangelism, that's pastor's job. I mean, after all, he's got the MDiv, he's studied, he's gone to the university, he's got himself his his ministerial papers. I don't have any of that. But boy, I'm good when it comes to calling out sin. I I, I can, when I see it, boy, I claim it and I name it and I go out there and let them know. I think sometimes perhaps we, we reverse the roles, we fail to recognize it's our job empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses and it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring about a sense of conviction and yet I think sometimes we we confuse the roles absolutely I, uh, the Great Commission was sent out for every Christian every disciple to go out and to tell the the good news and if we settle for just the clergy to go out there and tell the gospel well that's just a small minority of, of people going out to give the gospel but um, I think if if you look at stores everyone will tell you oh there's a great deal if you go here uh, you know you can get this I think 7-Eleven does that on August 11th they'll, or I'm sorry July 11th they'll do their uh, free Slurpees you don't know how many people I had tell me did you know you can get a free Slurpee today did you know you can get a free Slurpee today well Something like that, just something small like a little Slurpee. Why is that more important than telling someone about the gospel? And it doesn't have to be in your face. It's just something like, hey, did you hear there's a church over here? Did you hear about the gospel? Did, have, you, have you ever prayed before? Something as simple as that. It just requires someone to open their mouth and talk about how good God's been to them. And I would imagine that's not something that can be contrived or be forced, that it, that it should come naturally. And if that be the case, I have to wonder if sometimes our lack of willingness or eagerness, perhaps better put, to share our faith with others might be a reflection on, what, the shallowness of that faith? That there are degrees of biblical illiteracy 
and that there is a greater sense sometimes, and again, this is not meant to be a blanket accusation, but I think sometimes we, we find more of the influence of, of a cultural type of Christianity that we do it because it's traditional for us. And I don't mean mainline traditional denominations per se. I mean, I think anybody can get into the habit of we go to church on Sunday, we drop something in the offering plate, we're involved in church life, but Monday through Friday, we kind of do our own thing. And it's church is something that we that we will attend or be a spectator to as opposed to being fully participatory with and recognizing that it touches every aspect of our life, not just at 11 a.m. Sunday morning, but literally 168 hours of the week. Absolutely. And when I, when I played sports, I played basketball here in the Bay Area for a small Christian school. And, and I, because I loved basketball, I gave myself to it. I would practice. Uh, we'd, we'd have early morning practices, and so I'd practice at 6 a.m. for practice, and then I'd go to school, and then we'd have our afternoon practices at, at 4 o'clock, and I'd do that for another hour, hour and a half. And then I would go to the gym later with my uncle to work out and get, get stronger. And I never saw that as a chore. It was something I desired because it was it, the more I, I got into it, the more I wanted it. The same goes for, I believe, the Word of God. The more we we throw ourselves in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to work within our heart, going to church and and being a witness and giving giving offerings and and serving doesn't look like a chore anymore. It's something I want to do. Now that doesn't mean it's not going to take any more any less energy or effort, but it, it's something you're going to want to do. And at the end of the day, when you're tired after a long day of whatever you've done, you'll be glad you did it because you know who you did it for. Is that the distinction we often hear talked about between religion versus relationship? You know, I I think religion suggests that we have a set of rules that we live by, a set of things that we practice. And yet from a relational standpoint, if you're passionate about that relationship, if that relationship to you is alive and vibrant and meaningful and, and touches every aspect of your life, then suddenly telling people about Christ is not something that you have to do or feel as if there's some sort of an obligation like paying taxes, right? Rather, it's right. something that you get to do because you're excited. You're aware of the difference that Christ has made in your life. And, you know, I, I think of the example of somebody who wins a lottery. They go on television, they get interviewed, they they announce it at work, all their friends know. We, we don't hesitate to let people know this big major change that's happened in my life. I spent five bucks at 7-Eleven or whatever, and, you know, now I'm a multimillionaire. And yet, having received salvation and given the opportunity not only at heaven, but also to walk in fellowship with the very creator of the universe, higher than any governor, senator, president, king, emperor ever existed here on this planet. And yet, in, instead of treating that as an absolute joy that we feel abs- bursting with a sense of enthusiasm to share, sometimes we treat it as if it's a, a burdensome obligation. And I'm wondering if that really defines the difference between religion versus relationship. Absolutely. I think our, rela- our, our relationship with God will reveal our religion. But if we try to make our religion reveal our relationship, it will come off way, way off. And uh, I think, um, 
I think we've we've done it a disservice when we have attacked religion because there's nothing wrong with religion when it's put in its right position. Religion is just the outworking of my beliefs. But if I'm just outworking with no true heart behind it, I'm a machine. I am there's it's cold. It's empty, it's vain. And I think in the Old Testament, we see that with the Jews so often. They they followed the law vainly. There was no heart. There was no relationship. And that's why so often God says, I will be your God. You will be my people. Build, build this relationship with me. And the more that we build that relationship, the law becomes a delight. It becomes something we love. Which is interesting because of all the things that you would love, why would you love the law? Because you have a relationship with the one who made it. And I think that's where a lot of churches and Christians mix things up because we get so focused on the duty of a Christian that we forget to sit down at Jesus' feet and build that relationship. Serving him being obedient to him when you're in a relationship that you feel is is mutual it's bi-directional it's rewarding i mean think about it on the horizontal plane you know if you feel well i have this obligation i have to take my wife out to dinner you know it's just something i have to do because it's our xyz anniversary and we go about it because there's a sense of duty, but there's no joy there because perhaps the joy of the relationship has has soured. Um, I, I think that kind of an example works on the vertical plane as well. If we're doing it strictly out of a sense of duty, well, perhaps, you know, in, in the overall sense of doing the right thing, that's okay. But if you do it out of a sense of duty instead of out of a sense of passion and joy and wanting to serve him and please him, I think the, the, the reflection in our attitude and how we do that is going to be very telling, and particularly so from those on the outside looking in. I, 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 it, it never ceases to amaze me that non-believers oftentimes understand more about how a Christian ought to live and behave than the very believers themselves. Absolutely. The, being genuine in your faith reveals itself. It, it it's, it's that whole thing, you shall know them by their fruit. Well, our fruit will show how much we love something, how much we, we have been rooted in it, how much we've gained its nutrients. And I, I never want anyone to get caught up in, in uh, I, I go to church, I, I do this, I serve here, I have this title. I, well, all that stuff means nothing if you can't day by day build a walk with him. If you can't uh, truly understand how to hear the voice of God, if you don't understand why you're serving in a ministry. Uh, there was years ago, I had a, a gentleman that was teaching a class, and he came to me and he said, well, uh, I don't know if I should teach this class anymore. And I, I asked him why. And he said, well, he goes, I, I, there's not enough people in the class. And I, I, I asked him, I said, well, what's your motivator for teaching the class? He goes, well, obviously I want to teach people. I said, so your motivation is people. Immediately he recognized, oh, I probably should, oh, well, obviously I'm teaching people for God. And I said, no, 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 that was your immediate 
focus was people. Ministry, while it is a people thing, it starts first with God. God, God's love trickles down to people. His method is people. But I need to be in a place where God has worked on me first before I can help someone else. And, um, and, and I think that's the importance of being a part of a church. It's, it's being able to have God work on you so that way in your day-to-day life, you can begin to build a relationship with Him. So that way when you go back to church, you can serve and you can help someone else get to where you are now. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Pastor Devin Ortiz, Senior Pastor of Victory Baptist Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Senior Pastor Devin Ortiz with us today, Pastor at Victory Baptist Church of Fremont. Pastor Ortiz, let's pick up the conversation where we left off just a moment ago. We talk about sort of the secret sauce of success in life, and I think it's natural. It's certainly in the Western world, and, and even more specifically here in the United States, we, we measure our success by our titles, by what we do, by the numbers. You know, in the, in the example that you cite, I would imagine if, if the conversation began with, well, gee, there's only a thousand people in my Sunday school class. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been thrilled, wouldn't have had that conversation with you. But I think sometimes we get it backwards then, that 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 our service and what we do should be an outgrowth of our relationship as opposed to, I mean, it really is the fundamental difference between faith by works versus, you know, or salvation by works versus salvation by grace and faith, right? Uh, that if we try to measure it by what we do, we will be that, that clanging symbol, that sounding gong that really doesn't carry a message, and we're going to be ultimately extremely frustrated. But if our service is an outgrowth of our relationship with Christ, then we're suddenly back to that notion of we do it not because we are compelled to do it like paying tax, but we rather we do it out of a sense of joy and gratitude and servitude because we know who he is and who he is to us and what he has done on our behalf. And boy, there's a, there's a joy and an enthusiasm and a sense of satisfaction that comes out of that quickening of that realization that is phenomenal. But that really only comes from studying the word and getting to know him, doesn't it? Absolutely. Your relationship is is key and I think having good support to push you to that relationship is also important. Uh, I think radio stations uh, and the the, the conversations like this help focus us to what's truly important. Oh, you're right. I should focus more on my relationship because I think Satan's main goal is just to distract us. He doesn't need to have us fall necessarily in, in major sin and and have us completely ruin our life, if he can just distract us, well, then he, he's already won the battle because there's so many people that are going to church that are just as far away as someone who is caught up in a life of debauchery and sin. And all that, the difference is, is this distraction where I serve, I'm really serving because of myself or I'm serving because of the way it makes me feel or because people see who I am. And that in itself is just superficial. It perhaps says to me, if somebody, for example, would say, well, you know, I'm going through these struggles and I'm just not hearing from God. 
I would suppose that that's almost an immediate clue that they're probably not hearing from him because that book is closed. It's serving as, you know, maybe a paperweight or a decoration on the coffee table, but the word is not being opened. They're not engaging in dialogue, meaning prayer with God. And there's also a strong possibility that they're either not going to church at all, or if they are, they're showing up out of a sense of tradition or duty. And so all of those three points, I think, are major failure points that, therefore, how can you expect otherwise but to have a a sense of frustration and dissatisfaction in every aspect of life and feel as if your prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling and God's not talking to you because you're denying him the opportunity to do so? And then it creates a poor perspective of who God is, too, because we have the idea or the feeling as if I am, I have a relationship with him because we go to church and we serve and we, we listen to, you know, worship music and we, you know, we, we are, attend a ministry or whatever it is. So we have this idea that we have a relationship with him, but then when we really think about it, we become like the people in Malachi who says, where have you loved us? How do you even care about us? And they begin to question, do you, do you really care about us? And that becomes the start of a backsliding and a pulling away uh, to the point where people begin to start seeing church and the Bible and God as a giant fairy tale and it's not because god has not been good and he has not tried to reveal himself it's because they've not truly given themselves to him and faith is the faith is so interesting because it's one of the only things where you have to first completely yield yourself before you can gain the result and with most most everything you know you can you can get sample size of, oh, this, yeah, this is true. This is going to work. But with faith, it's all in first. And then you begin to see the evidences of God and, and his goodness and his love. But uh, um, I think a lot of Christians, they miss out on that because we, we give a portion and we expect to see that portion back. Yeah, I think that's a valid point, and and recognizing that there 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 needs to be that engagement taking place, and that if we feel as if God is somewhere way 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 far away, well, the, the question is, where are you, and 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 what kind of effort are you willing to make, and how good of a listener? Are you? I think sometimes, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, I know this has certainly been true in many moments in my life where the Holy Spirit is fairly screaming, but I'm not listening. I'm, I'm tuned into other things. I'm allowing other distractions, other voices, so to speak, uh, to, to, to gain my ear first. And, and sometimes you need to go through those challenging moments and, 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 and difficult moments in order to be quiet enough to listen and to get engaged. You know, it's always amazed me how folks are are strong in their faith when everything is going well, the bills are paid, the kids are happy, nobody's sick in the home, and so we're, we're confident that God really loves us. We also tend to be extremely busy otherwise. And then when things start to befall us, we either suddenly feel as if God has disappeared from the scene, 
Um, or we get really busy trying to reconnect because we suddenly recognize, oops, we've had this thing sort of on, uh, uh, you know, set it and forget it mode, not recognizing that to grow a relationship, there needs to be, you know, it, it needs to be fully participatory. We know what he's done. Now he's asking, what are we going to do to engage in that relationship? I almost feel most people fall away from God, not in the valleys, but most of the time they fall on the mountaintops mm-hmm. when when they begin to get that good paying job when you know the the kids are all healthy and they've got sports going on and everything everything's going well when you know when the marriage is doing great and there's no problems the cars are running fine i believe that's when a lot of people fall because everything's good and then when things start to get bad they begin to realize oh I'm limited. I need to find I need to find something to help me out in this situation. And I think those trials, those difficulties are important for us because it helps us recognize I need to get back to God. Yeah. Some some of the greatest growth moments can happen when everything is is sort of peeled back and laid bare. And then it also helps you to to reprioritize the things that really count. And again, I think a lot of it goes back to just the the culture, the society in which we've all been raised and the emphasis on success and materialism. And, you know, going back to the example of the Sunday school teacher, that were that a case where too many people were showing up, you wouldn't have heard a complaint. And, and yet I, I think of the contrast. And Jesus said, we're going to turn the entire world upside down. And he picked 12 people to do it. Now, from a success motivation, organizational standpoint, they would today, most business leaders would say, oh, you can't, you can't build anything of, of any significance on such a small group, especially you want to go international. Boy, you, you, you've just got to have a, a much bigger organization. And yet, and yet Jesus said, no, we're going to do just this group here. And you know what? They're the group of probably some of the least qualified individuals that could have been selected. Uh, and yet here we stand on literally on the spiritual shoulders of them 2,000 years later still talking about this Christ and who he was and what he did for us and and the passionate desire that God has to be reconciled with us as his creation and walk in fellowship with us. It's exciting stuff, but you put it in perspective, you begin to realize that God can do a lot out of very little if we are willing to trust him. Absolutely. I mean, think about the disciples that he chose. They were all very common, based men, fishermen who their whole their whole life was on the water. They didn't need to worry about reading books and speaking to people. They they were on the water just enjoying their time and trying to sell the fish that they caught. And yet, these are the men that God chose. He he choose a a. a uh, a physician to help be the the pen for um, Luke and Paul. Um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, as Luke was helping out as uh, writing the book of Acts for Paul as his uh, kind of uh, biographer there. It's just an amazing thing to be able to see that I would have flipped it around and probably had Paul write for Luke because Luke has the that and, and Paul? Yeah, obviously Paul came from a, a scholarship background, but Luke, Luke was a doctor. He'd been with Jesus, and he he he'd known some of these things. 
And yet he said, I, I want Paul, this guy who probably should be disqualified from, from his past. I want Paul to write these gospels. And I want Paul to write this dissertation on what, what grace is. And I, I, want, I want Paul to strengthen these churches and deal with that church of Corinth that is so carnal and, and living so superficially. And it's amazing that God would use such ordinary base and, and in some cases even lower than ordinary men to do some amazing work. And I think there's a, there's a profound message in that for the church today, that if sometimes we get down and get discouraged, remember what God was willing to accomplish or able to accomplish rather through this group of 12. And I think the real, the, if, if anything stands out as a hallmark as to what quote unquote qualified them, and that was ultimately their, their willingness. Now, sometimes it was some, with, even with hesitation, as we look at, at some of the activities that took place around the time of, of Christ's time praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and what took place from the time of his arrest until his crucifixion. But they begin to be realized if if a person is willing to simply let go and let God, to, to borrow a phrase, and just be bold enough to trust God and make ourselves to be willing vessels, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll do what you want me to do, God can do some really amazing things, not only in us and for us, but through us. Amen. And, and each one of those disciples, as the scriptures lay out, they showed their flaws. <laughs> Peter obviously walked in a room mouth first, and he was just such a. I, I relate to Peter so much because I, I'm I'm known for having a big mouth myself, but he would say things and then have to go back on them so many times. Where Jesus oftentimes would have to look at him and say, "Simon, <laughs> you know, you little, uh, you have little faith," and and then you have James and John the the sons of thunder as they they come in and so the the moment where jesus is trying to talk to them about hey i'm the time of my departure is at hand they're sitting there fighting about who's going to sit on the right hand of god yeah. <laughs> and and then he says hey guys we need to go and, and pray so we enter not into temptation and they decide oh, it's nap time and that's so us that is just is. who we are as people we're flawed. We make mistakes. We we choose the wrong things at the wrong time. We say the wrong things at the wrong time, and yet God wants to still use us. And and, and with all those errors and mistakes, and and the, our own natural frailty, our own innate sin nature, that the the work of Christ on the cross is able to supersede and overcome all of that. And then some. And that's the encouraging message that in spite of how flawed we are, he can still use us. That in spite of the level of sin that we have committed, both out of our own desire as well as that, that, that historical Adamic nature that is just part of our, our spiritual DNA, so to speak, that nevertheless, none of it is beyond Christ's capability to fully forgive, fully restore, and fully use for his glory. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Pastor Devin Ortiz, Senior Pastor of Victory Baptist Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back. Senior Pastor Devin Ortiz with us today, pastor at Victory Baptist Church of Fremont. Pastors, folks have been eavesdropping on our conversation today. Maybe they're new to the San Francisco Bay Area and looking for a church home. Tell us a bit about what God is doing at Victory Baptist Church there in Fremont. Well, Victory Baptist Church is a, uh, I, I like to call it a classical Baptist church. It's just, I, I'd like to, our church to feel the fit in any time, any generation. Um, we're not seeking to, we're not seeking for, to be modern. We're not seeking to be old fashioned. We just want to be a church where people can grow, worship. Uh, they can uh, um, bring their family to be a part of it, serve within different ministries. Um, we've been able to uh for the last 21 years in fact this is our this sunday is our anniversary 21 years serving in this area oh congratulations thank you um my brother-in-law started this church back in 2002 and uh, he started it in from elementary school and we bounced around from elementary school to elementary school to a uh, small church to another church to another we, we met in backyards and at parks for a little while and uh, God has been so good to us to uh, allow us to be at this property here in Mission, uh, on Mission Boulevard here in Fremont. And we've, uh, for the last few years, God has uh, allowed us to not only be a witness, but also during COVID, we were able to raise almost $75,000 worth of food for the local food banks. And uh, we we held drive-in church where we, we had church uh cars parked in our church lot and we still held church here everyone was in their car and we we met outside for uh almost a year uh under any condition that was out there we met outside and we still had church and our whole thing is just wanting to serve god and wanting to do it the right way as best as we can as best as we can uh with the understanding that we're all frail we're all going to make mistakes and it's, we're all growing. Well, you know, uh, broken vessels, but the good news is the 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 potter is in the the in the clay restoration business, and that's that's an exciting thing. I want to uh, share with folks if you are new to the Bay Area, you'd like to check out Victory Baptist Church. They meet at forty. 40- 546 Mission Boulevard in Fremont. That's 40546 Mission Boulevard in Fremont. And you can get details on their website at vbc.org. There's a couple of hyphens in there. So it's V for victory, hyphen B for Baptist, hyphen C for church. So v-b-c.org we, we can make a rhyme out of that one too and if you want you can call the church for more information area code 510-270-8323 that's 510-270-8323 tell us pastor about service times our service times we have a nine nine o'clock service in the morning and uh, we have a 5 p.m sunday uh, evening and then we have our midweek at uh, 7 p.m on wednesday night and if you had to describe your pulpit ministry um, in, a, in a couple of words, kind of give us a summary of, of what really is the passion and heartbeat of Pastor Devin Ortiz when you step up and proclaim God's word. Uh, I, I, like to, I like to go verse by verse um, and, and preach with as much fire as I can. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean I, I, I go crazy up there or anything like that, but I, I, I'm excitable. I, I I, I speak with a little a little passion, and uh, I believe that's important when we go through God's word. And uh, but 
I don't want to miss out on teaching what is what is God's word truly mean and defining some of these words that we don't often use within our day-to-day language and and maybe even go over some of the culture and so I, I guess it's more teaching and preaching with passion that's kind of my whole philosophy and you know what brother when you dive in uh, i think that's the only way to go when you when you really begin to have the holy spirit quicken to your heart uh what's inside of this love letter called god's word uh, i don't think there's any other way you can deliver it except with a sense of passion focusing on equipping the saints evangelism the lost and ultimately edification of the body of christ victory baptist church of fremont again at 4546 mission boulevard details on the web at v b c And our thanks to Pastor Devin Ortiz for being with us today. Pastor Ortiz, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I do appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.